We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app 971 fm talk podcast it's funny this is i think the second time that i've talked about alex jones in the show it's not necessarily a topic that i hit a lot because alex jones isn't a person i listen to well ever actually i've never really delved into the InfoWars stuff. I'm very familiar with what Alex Jones does and some of the things that he's talked about in the past. But uh, I'm not really an audience member of his and never have been, and that's not necessarily on purpose. It's just that I never have been. And I, I'm i talking about it now simply because of the news story you may have seen that a jury has now ordered Alex Jones to pay $965 million to Sandy Hook families. Now, obviously, Alex Jones doesn't have almost a billion dollars. I'm sure he's a wealthy man, built that InfoWars empire, but he doesn't have a billion dollars. $965 million is, is just a joke. I mean, that's, that's not a real verdict. That's insane. So the point was to bankrupt him, I'm sure. But I guess that's why I'm talking about it is because there was a point being made in that lawsuit and it was not based on the American justice system. It was based on vengeance. It was based on the the new buzzword, misinformation, trying to stop misinformation. And they're, they're all out. And I'm talking about the left here. They are all out to shut down dissent. And they will do so in the name of misinformation. The government tried to start a ministry of truth. It was only shut down because there was such a public outcry. It was so ridiculous. So they they either shut the whole thing down or they're going to do it under a different name eventually. I don't know. But that's where we're at right now. And as this is only, I think, the second time that I've discussed Alex Jones, Alex Jones on the show, as it pertains to this lawsuit, I've, I felt it necessary to set up that I'm not really an apologist for Alex Jones because I don't listen to Alex Jones. But I also feel very much like this is really wrong what people are weaponizing the justice system against somebody. There's a First Amendment for a reason. That is the number one amendment for a reason. It's because that is essential to freedom, people being able to talk freely. And this is to shut them down. This is to shut lots of people down. They start with people like Alex Jones, and they move on from there to where now you can't say things that are pretty commonly true on Twitter or wherever. So I'm going to play back here something that I did. That Now, this was probably two months ago, the first time I ever really brought this issue up when the, when the lawsuit was brought. I have not listened back to this. I just felt like it would be kind of fun to bring up even accountability for myself. 
to see if what I said still stands now that we've reached a verdict in that case. So here you go. American Media Export. Wiggins America. If you just pay attention to kind of the Fox News alert stuff, this one may not even be on your radar, but he's being sued again by Sandy Hook parents because he said Sandy Hook wasn't real and therefore all of his kids, all all of their kids died in vain or, you know, basically it caused them emotional trauma. Here's what I'd like to say. We shouldn't be suing people for emotional trauma. And let me clarify, because I'm not talking about necessarily like domestic abuse or something along those lines. I mean that if somebody in the media says something you don't like, you should not be able to sue them. Now, what they're doing is suing him for libel, slander. I guess it's libel if it's written, slander if it's if it's said. So they're suing him for slander. That is a real law. If you're in the media and you say something that causes somebody uh, harm, direct harm, then you can sue them for slander. That happens all the time. That happened with Nick Sandman, for instance. He sued CNN and a whole bunch of others, and they paid him because they had slandered him falsely. They said something false, and they lost the argument. In his case, he suffered public humiliation. He suffered people yelling at him, calling him a white supremacist. Uh, He suffered actual possible harm, where his life, he considered it to be maybe in danger. Obviously, it changed his life. In this case, some random, basically, podcast host, who, yes, has a fairly large audience, who comes out and says that the event itself was staged or that aspects of it were staged that to me is not grounds for a lawsuit and you can disagree with what alex jones says and still agree with that point fair let me know what you think at radio wiggins on twitter we'll be ready t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Tracia's back in the studio again. I have a couple of questions for you about the economy. Ready? Yes. 
I have a few things here, according to MSNBC and Forbes and a couple other sources here, that people are now doing because of inflation. I want to see if you're doing any of them. Okay. One, adjusting the quantity of what you're buying. For instance, instead of buying a big, you know, slab of meat or three pounds of hamburger, you're buying one pound or you're buying hot dogs instead. That kind of stuff. So I'm not talking about instead of getting a whole room sofa, I'm going to get a love seat. <laughs> no, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> but the am daily I getting, stuff. Am I getting four bananas instead of six? Exactly. The daily stuff. I'm a unique shopper where I shop often day of, so I only get small quantities. So this one doesn't, maybe, but it's so marginal that I can't say yes to that. Me too. And my wife hates that. The day of shopping? Oh, she hates it. She's like, Ryan, if you went to the store less often, you just bought more, you would not have to go out to shop at nine o'clock at night. And I'm like, I understand that. She's right. I understand that. And she's actually, it's probably more cost effective to do it. Your wife's way. No, I disagree. Well, I, if, you, if you're a good planner, if you're a good planner. Yes. Because then you're not going to the store again. You're not buying gas. You're not grabbing those extra few things that you might be grabbing. If you make a list and plan it out right, I Fair. am not your wife. I am you. I go every day. But flip side, if you're not a good planner and I'm not usually the one making the meals, I make a meal probably once a week or we go out to eat and that's my meal that I made. She makes meals once or twice a week, and then we kind of fill in with buying fast food and stuff Mm -hmm. whenever we're on the go. She will always think, I'm going to make dinner Friday night, so I'm going to buy dinner Monday night for Friday. Friday comes around, ah, we're too busy. There's a whole meal right there that now we either have to make, or it's just going to be completely wasted. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's more effective, at least with her, (laughs) if I go once or twice a week, maybe even three times a week and get smaller quantities that we're going to use that day or that the next day. That you know day. you're going to use. Yep, That's exactly. why I do it that way. But Next one is delaying purchases on non-essential items. Stuff that you want, but you don't need. Mm, I'd like to say yes, but... I, me too. I, <laughs> I'm still hitting up Amazon on the, yeah. on the reg. And you're still living the... You're still living wedding life, right? Uh-huh. I mean, that's like excess. Yeah, just where is. you're buying sparkly shoes for no reason yeah. and fanny packs <laughs> right. and just silly things. I, I don't buy expensive stuff. Same. So already when it comes time to trim costs, I don't really have anything to trim. Yeah. So we're already there. And we also just bought a water softener, which is not a need. It's a want. And I feel like... I would be hypocritical in saying that uh, we have trimmed because that kind of stuff we're actually doing a little bit more of. I feel like the older I get, regardless of economic conditions. Now, I mean, if I lost my job or something dramatic happened to Katie or medical or something like that, I think then it would really affect us. But I think just the age that I'm getting, I hit 40 and I, I go, well, how many years do I have left on this earth? I, I want a water softener, you know, <laughs> like that kind of stuff just that happens. That was always my parents' theory. Now, they're not sitting on a on a chunk of change post-retirement, but their whole theory was you can't take it with you, so you yeah. might as well have the things we want and need yeah. now. And they were not to an extravagant extent. Right. But it was if we, you know, if we wanted to take that vacation or they wanted to upgrade a car, they didn't let themselves fret over it for years. They figured they made it work, you know. I so, haven't gotten to the car place that. yet. The, the car thing to me is if I ever get to the point where I just buy a car because I want a new car, mm-hmm. then I've made it. Because that's 
so off the plan for me. But the little things like this that actually affect yeah. the way we do life. That's how we lived. And it was yeah. and we were comfortable and they're comfortable now. And, you know, at some point it's it's all age, though. It has nothing to do with the economy for me. It yes. has everything to do with just me flipping a switch in my brain and saying, you don't have to buy the off brand of Dawn. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still probably do that kind of stuff mostly, but I just want to get to a place where I'm not forcing myself to be so cheap that now my wife has to use twice the amount of soap. You know what I mean? No, it, when Eddie got his <laughs> Eddie got a new job not too long ago when we started buying Gain laundry detergent again, <laughs> and he came home with Gain, and I'm like, ooh, that's nice. And yeah. he's like, I know, I thought you'd like that. We can afford Gain again. I'm like, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, toilet paper. Right. I mean, not the- Decent toilet paper. Not the like, 2020 that, version of toilet mm-hmm. paper, but the, the, oh, I'm buying toilet paper that I don't have to- really wad up you know uh-huh. like that kind of stuff it's such a dumb luxury uh-huh. but it's so little that i realize in the grand context of things if i'm spending an extra two dollars to get nicer toilet paper and it I makes me feel we're just better talking about growing up maybe i think, I think that is what in we're saying general talking about being adults <clears throat> i think you're right last one on the list is people switching retailers for lower prices or discount brand i mean we're kind of talking about generic brands and stuff but just going to a different store maybe not going to target going to walmart or or going to dollar general or dollar tree more specifically mm-hmm. even though their prices are more than they used to be Have you done any of that i'm not because of the economy i got a family dollar next to my house if i want something oh that's nice cheap i'll run up there i like it it's fine mm-hmm. but i also go to target regularly and i haven't changed uh i don't ever really go to target so this kind of same same answer to a different question i was already going to cheap stores yeah i'm the flea market guy i think that's kind of where i am too i i was not shying away from places where i was getting a deal to begin with so i'm not finding myself like going out of my way to change my habits (laughs) not that this was the point of the segment but you and i there's there's a particular flea market overstock place <clears throat> that I had suggested you go to. Mm-hmm. And I did. I got a sweater. It was $5. And you liked Still it? Still wear it. Almost wore it today. Now, you hadn't gone as often Maybe as I go. I'll wear it tomorrow. I do whatever. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> that's your, that's, that is your sweater. Thank you, you do whatever you want with it. I have no rights to it just because I told you where you bought it. <laughs> um, but uh, that place has now gone out of business or moved. I think they had a couple locations, but they closed the one that we go to or I go to more. Just because of uh, supply chain problems. It's so depressing. All the stores that I mm-hmm. used to go to, they're having problems because they were the places where, oh my gosh, there's 15 bins of weird Christmas stuff that nobody bought. What are we going to do with it? We'll just dump it on this overstock place for nothing. And then they charge a little bit of an upcharge, but you're still getting it super cheap. Well, the supply chain issues have caused those kind of places to have very little stock. Because there isn't as much being made, therefore there isn't as much overstock. And it's so depressing. Lame. It is lame. I'm sorry that happened. I mean, I've got my sweater. I'll keep it forever. Well, we can still go to garage sales. That's true. You and I hit up garage sales. I mean, let me know. Because if you go to one that's good, I'll go and drive I'll, out to Okay, so you want me to go scout garage sales for <laughs> you. Did I just get my first assignment? As soon as we get done with the my show My first today, Wiggins America assignment. You are going to go on location throughout... All of St. Louis. I'm not relegating you to Illinois here. All of St. Louis. Oh, that's Louis. even better. Just widen that circle. Anywhere. Yep. And I want you to drive. I don't want you to look on an app or cheat. 
you got to go down every tree, street and see if there's any good garage sales. Can I keep an eye out for signs, or you want me to like really like blindfold this? No, like, you, you just... can do whatever you want about that. I don't okay. care about signs, but I do need to know if they're good. And sure. if I show up at one and it's a bunch of ceramics, I will never ask you for something again. Okay. <laughs> one FM Talk, my guest this morning, one of the guests this morning, actually. Yeah, Ashley Yablon, appreciate your time this morning, Ashley. We'll jump right into your book here. You're author of Standing Up to China, and that caught my attention for a variety of reasons. But what is the primary reason you wrote this book? Um. I wrote the book, actually, I'd, I'd given a number of speeches and was trying to tell the story of, of what happened to me being a, a whistleblower. And s- several times when I gave a speech or talked about it, many of the, the truths were, were left out. The attorneys didn't want to, ironically, attorneys didn't want to have any liability. So I want to tell the real story of what happened um, detail by detail and, and explain my my concerns and, and how my life was was jeopardized for telling the truth. Well, can you can you get into that a little bit? Because I think that's what's what what was what, what truth were they trying to hide? I guess this is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. So so a little bit of the background. Uh, I was the general counsel, so the in-house head attorney for ZTE USA. And what I stumbled upon was uh, while our government was investigating ZTE as well as Huawei, two of the largest telecom companies in the world, both are Chinese-based, they found them to be a threat to national security. And Reuters had stumbled across an article. uh, In their article, they stumbled across uh, a contract between ZTE and the embargoed country of, of Iran. And ZTE in that contract was selling hundreds of millions of dollars of spying technology. Also, Reuters found a 902-page packing list. And the packing list defined out not only the spying technology, but the U.S. component parts that were in it. So the problem there is it didn't just list out the, um, the, you know, the spying technology, but also the component parts that were U.S.-based. And that's illegal uh, to basically sell to the embargoed countries. And what ZTE had done had created an elaborate scheme of buying through shell companies hundreds of millions of dollars of U.S. component parts, getting those back to ZTE, putting those into spying technology, and then selling it to the embargoed countries. And what I, when I found out as an attorney, I, I had an ethical duty because ZTE wanted to lie to the government and wanted me to be the scapegoat and swear to their lies. And obviously I couldn't do that as an ethical attorney. And I went to our FBI and I explained and gave them great detail of what happened and what went on. They created a 32 page affidavit. Unfortunately, that affidavit got leaked. And that's when ZTE threatened to kill me because I had cost them hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. So you were representing ZTE and due to conscience, which is amazing, and I very much laud you for doing that, you said, I can't do this. You took it to who you trusted to be, the, the highest law enforcement in the land, the FBI, and then they weren't responsible with the document that they put together. <laughs> you, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I did go to our government. I, here I am a lawyer. Uh, my my former wife was a lawyer. All my best friends are lawyers. But I ended up out of my own pocket hiring five lawyers, well over to the tune of you know six figures, 
selling things that I own just to represent me, criminal lawyers, employment lawyers, whistleblower lawyers. Like I said, selling everything that I had just to pay them, um, it, just to do the right thing. And like I said, it ended up almost costing me my life. Ashley Yablon on the phone with us, ZTE general counselor, former anyway, turned whistleblower, author of Standing Up to China. I'm going to ask you a question here. I don't know whether you'll be able to answer this or you have to be careful. You know, I'm going to ask it anyway. That's what we do. Uh, when you took this to the FBI, did you trust the FBI enough to think that this wouldn't happen? Or do you think that this was intentional that they leaked this? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, looking back now, after what, almost over 10 years, uh, I wonder now, because at the time I didn't think so, but now I wonder, was this intentional? Was I set up to be that person who, uh, first of all, leaked about what uh, ZTE slash the, you know, China was doing, and then also leaked by our own government? I, I, I never thought of it at the time, uh, but now I do. So that's a great point. I, I don't have an answer one way or the other, but uh, that's that's something I, I've thought about quite a bit. No, I appreciate your honesty. It's just it's it's so top of mind now with current events that I thought, gosh, m- maybe you were ahead of the curve here on this one. Um, let me ask you this, though, with ZTE, what what's the timeline we're talking about? When did you come to this conclusion that you could not work for them anymore? So I started got my dream job. Uh, This was my dream job to be the general counsel of a multi-billion dollar company. And I worked so hard to get it. I got it in October of 2011. And in November is what I call the Thanksgiving meeting when we realized we were under house investigation for being a threat to national security. And later on, when the Reuters article came out about four months later in March of 2012, and then going to ZTE and then saying, we're going to lie to the government. We're going to hide documents. We're going to uh, destroy evidence. And we want you to say we're doing nothing wrong. That's when I went to attorneys. Uh, like I said, hired five different lawyers to represent me, sold everything I had to pay for them, and realized that at that time that that's when I, uh, I needed to do something not only to save my life but um, to preserve uh, what it means to be an American. Gosh, because this is actually this is such a huge scandal that I, I'm just surprised that we I guess we're so overloaded with scandals that it's hard to for any one of them to break through. But I mean, just as you're talking, I'm like, gosh, this is such a big deal. And it's not as if I have not heard anything about it. It's just that it's not as top of mind as it should be. Let me ask you this. When when you're talking about what ZTE did, are they still, is this still a problem, whether it would be with ZTE or Huawei or whoever? I, I think that's a great question. I think so. And I, let's be honest, the reason I titled the book Standing Up to China, it was obviously I was standing up to ZTE, but we all know, uh, regardless of what these Chinese companies say, that they are run by the Chinese government. And that's why I called it Standing Up to China, because truly that's what I was doing. I look now, and, and ZTE obviously admitted to everything I said, and in 2017, paid the largest penalty ever. They paid over $2.5 billion just so they could stay in business here in the U.S. And, uh, you know, we see Ericsson getting in trouble, um, you know, several months ago for, for paying off uh, terrorists and, and groups like that. So 
Is it a problem? Yes. I think China obviously realized that they got busted for this, got in trouble. Um, but they're just, in a way, building a better mousetrap. It's, it's not as if they'll stop. It's, it's figuring out a better way to do it next time. Ashley, this, this question is, is a little bit off the radar of where we've been talking, but how is this related to Facebook and some of the election interference stuff that we've, we've heard about in the news? Yeah, I, I think it's it's extremely interesting. You know, uh, here's here's a Facebook uh, letting us know that they've they've uh, you know busted this this scheme. And uh, what was that scheme? Well, there was about eighty different accounts that were created by by Chinese uh, uh, citizens trying to um, make really uh, big issues of uh, topical points of abortion here and gun control, et cetera. And it's really the first time that they've gotten in and, and posed as U.S. on U.S. issues. They've, they've talked from afar. But, again, this isn't anything new. I mean, in 20, was it 2016, we had Russia. And Russia spent over, gosh, over $300 million since 2014 trying to influence foreign campaigns. We know of the tie-ins between Russia and China, uh, and we know of their alliance. Uh, so – I, I think it's topical. There's, there is a reason why uh, China is spending so much money and so much effort trying to influence. What that, what that reason is, I don't know. But I think it's, it does tie into kind of a lot of what the, my book is about, and that is trying to gain influence, or at least the East is, over West and Western culture and now delving into our politics and, and a threat to our, uh, our democracy. Ashley, we're almost out of time here, but is there anything else that I have failed to ask? Because I feel like there's so much here. Just anything that you want people to know that I haven't asked about? I think you've done a great job of asking really pointed questions. Uh, again, I, obviously, the, you know, the theme of the book is, is trying to do the right thing. And, and how far will you go to do the right thing when it costs you, in my case, my career, uh, for a number of years, I lost my job and uh, almost lost my life with the death threats that ZTE were uh, threatening to kill me. Um, but I, I, I think that's the key. And, and hopefully no one will ever have to go to the extremes that I did. But uh, hopefully it's, uh, it's an influence that we, sh- we should all try to do the right thing in, in every, every phase of our life. Well, Ashley, it is my privilege to talk to you this morning because without people like you, putting it all on the line and saying, no, I'm going to do the right thing and it's going to cost me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Cause you could have made a lot of money. You could have been very, very comfortable with just turning the other, turning, turning a blind eye to it and just, just kind of going with the flow. But it's because of people like you that we even maybe know that this is an issue. So I want to thank you not only for your time, but for what you've done. Thank you. Uh, thank you for saying that. And uh, thank you also for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Ashley Yablon, he is the author of Standing Up to China. Highly recommend that you check out that book. Ashley, where do you recommend people getting it, by the way? Sure. Uh, it's um, obviously online, both at uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And uh, you can also follow it at from my uh, website at ashleyyablon.com. Thank you so much again for your time and for everything. This is Wiggins America. We have more on the way. Stick around. We'll be right back. As we get close to the bottom of the hour here, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Senate, the race for who controls the United States Senate. That's going to be the big one because I don't think the House is in play at all. I think the Republicans will have that locked up pretty much for sure. We'll say this. If the Republicans don't win back the House, something real weird is going on. 
because uh, that's that's nearly impossible. And not just because uh, it's a midterm year and the party not in power always does well in the midterms, especially in the House. The Senate will depend a little bit more on the map usually, and the Republicans don't have a, a very favorable map this year. But I actually think that's probably good. In a, in a high watermark year, you'd probably like to have your least favorable map. Um, but anyway, the House... Just because of redistricting and, and redrawing the lines, Republicans probably would win the House even if all things were just flat, even if it was the exact same as the last couple elections. Uh, some seats would just drift Republican because of the way that their districts are drawn. So um, <clears throat> don't think that's really a concern. I think it's all about the Senate. And so Republicans controlling Congress is really what's at play. They'll control one part of Congress. And so they can stop all the spending. There won't be any bills that will be passed, even through reconciliation, because all all Democrats can do and do do is spend money. That's that's not just because that's the practical measure that they can take right now, because with a divided Senate, you can't overcome the filibuster with anything other than judge appointments and spending bills through reconciliation. So that's what they've done. That's exactly what they've done because they can't overcome the Republican filibuster. So it's not just that the House is important as far as investigations and things, which will flip and start happening as of January, but it's important because they won't be able to pass any spending regulation now after the House is taken by Republicans. That means the main thing left is concerning, just like I said, those investigations in the Senate, not in the House, they'll control the House, and then passing judges. At this point in Biden's presidency, he has confirmed more judges through the Senate than the, pre- the previous president, President Trump, had at this point. Now, Trump overall has more because he had Republican senators for four years of his presidency. Biden hopefully will only have two. But that's why we're talking about this subject, because that is what is at stake. Is Biden continuing for another two years to push through as many judges as possible? And at the pace he's at, he's going to outpace Trump. Okay, so that's what we're talking about now, specifically to the Senate. There have been a lot of Senate candidates this time around. I've never really seen this so much as this this cycle say that they will not debate their opponent. That's weird. That shows a tremendous lack of confidence in either your ability to debate or your public speaking ability or your policies being indefensible. For the most part, what you've seen is Democrats really reluctant to debate. Let me highlight a few of those. Last week, uh, the same night that, oh, there's some, oh, it was the Kanye West. So it was Thursday night. Kanye West interviews happening on Tucker. Not this week, but the previous, previous week. Blake Masters of Arizona, the Senate candidate for the GOP there, was debating Mark Kelly, the Democrat candidate for Senate in Arizona. That debate did not go very well for Mark Kelly. <clears throat> it, it, of course, you're going to pick your side and go, well, my guy won. And so Democrats don't think it went that badly. Republicans think it went terribly. That just shows you who won that debate. It was Blake Masters. And it wasn't because Blake Masters, you know, he gets he gets thrown into the Carrie Lake category of being this firebrand who's really good at speaking. He's not that. He's not as good at speaking as Carrie Lake is. Carrie Lake can handle an interview like few people can. She's really good at it. Blake Masters 
is more of just a, a, a guy who knows his facts, but is not going for the jugular all the time because that doesn't seem to be his personality. He's going for it with facts, but not with, you know, the same way that Trump or Kerry Lake would, or even somebody like Chris Christie would, for instance. So that being said, that debate <clears throat> did not go that well for Mark Kelly simply because the facts were not on his side. That is what I think a lot of Democrats are afraid of right now. Case in point, Fetterman versus Oz in Pennsylvania. Fetterman is having a terrible time speaking, and he is showing himself to be very vulnerable because he had a stroke and is having awful time on the campaign trail trying to get points out. And, of course, anytime he slips up, and it's not just him, he's not because of the stroke. Anytime anybody slips up on the campaign trail, that's the clip that everybody sees, right? You can make a billion great points. And then you, you misspeak one thing, and that's the clip that makes it. So that's what's happening with Fetterman, but everybody also knows that he had the stroke, so there's a lot of attention being paid to it. Well, he was reluctant to debate. Thankfully, he has agreed to debate. That's the right thing to do. I would like to see a couple debates between these people, but at least he's doing one. You'd think that if I were going to be all Republican right now, I would not even mention Herschel Walker. But Herschel Walker has had the same problem. He's the Republican candidate in Georgia, and Pennsylvania and Georgia are really the key states. That The whole Senate might depend on those two states. We'll see. Obviously, there's, there's 50 states. Not all of them are having elections, but there's a lot more Senate, Senate elections happening. But those two states are very, very important. Herschel Walker, not a good public speaker. Different reason, but similar to Fetterman in Pennsylvania. Opposite sides of the ticket. But Fetterman and Herschel Walker both have agreed, despite their, uh, their many problems with public speaking, they've agreed to debate. Good for them. Okay? So that's where we stand with those two. Now, Katie Hobbs. She is an atrocious candidate in Arizona. Just got done talking about Blake Masters and Kelly. That's the Senate side. This, though, is the governor's side in Arizona. Now, it won't impact the Senate as much as I think that's the most important thing. But this whole issue of not wanting to debate, it makes you look so bad that your opponent will not stop hammering that. Carrie Lake will not stop hammering Katie Hobbs on not debating. I pulled this clip from, I think this is Face the Nation. <laughs> Apropos, well-named, Katie Hobbs appeared on Face the Nation, and they asked her that very question. One more time before we let you go, because I think it is on the mind of Arizona voters. Are you saying this morning that there is no circumstance that you can envision or would even try to negotiate in which you and Carrie Lake would appear at a debate together before the election? At this point in the race, with 30 days to go, uh, our schedule in terms of, of forums uh, is pretty much set. And, and I'm really happy with where we are in uh, the plans we have to continue talking directly to the voters of Arizona. That, okay, so that's, that's your answer is, uh, well, you know, we're busy. <laughs> your, your opponent is taking you to the mat on that issue. That's a terrible answer. And the problem is she's just a really bad candidate. Not only does she not have the issues on her side in Arizona, 
she she's not good at even spinning them in the way that Obama was or somebody. You know, that's I think that's one of the biggest problems that people don't like Biden. <clears throat> it's not that they hate his policies. He's super far left. They like that on the left. It's that he's not able to spin it in a way that the eloquent Barack Obama could. And they don't like that. So <laughs> that's the problem. They, they want somebody who's really good at spinning these issues because they know that a lot of times, as you're seeing over the last two years, there's not really a lot of substance to these policies. It's a lot of spin. So they got to spin, 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 spin. Democrats are continuing to do that. They named a green energy bill the Inflation Reduction Act. <laughs> they, they literally, in the middle of the, some of the worst inflation we've ever had, decided to spend about $300 billion and call it inflate, had the gall to call it inflation reduction. But that's what they do. And so they need to spin. They need somebody who's really good at spin. Katie Hobbs is terrible at all of it, not only with the issues, but with the spin. So she won't debate. And I think, honestly, it's going to cost her the election just the fact that she won't debate. Even if she did terribly, she would maybe still have a better chance than if she wouldn't debate. Here is the best case that I can make for why she, (laughs) well, after I just said that. Here's why she won't debate. Here's a very friendly interview that she was doing, and I'll try to crank this up. The audio is not fantastic, but I'm going to play the whole thing because her answer is that bad. Let me ask you, how has it impacted you personally? What have you learned, specifically learned from the Latino community? What have you learned from the Latino community? That's a great question. Um, I don't necessarily uh, think about it that way in those terms. I think um, I really value uh, my relationships across the board with, um, with with different folks, and um, and I learn all the time from from people uh, in my life. My sister-in-law, um, she is uh, Latino, and this is a softball uh, question. Her family. Uh, I love hanging out with them and uh, practicing my Espanol. <laughs> uh, so, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just, it's, um, I learned so much from, from her family, uh, but I think um, it, it j- it's really hard to separate out Arizona and subtract Latino culture because it's so much a part of who we are as a state. Can you imagine and, her um, and I, and I, um, I, I, Arizona wouldn't be Arizona without the, what the Latino community brings. Listen to this follow-up. So there's not one specific lesson you could share with you, other than Espanol. <laughs> so there's not one, there's not one thing uh, you've learned from the Latino community, other than one other bit of Spanish. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I mean, I think there's, there's many lessons of the, the emphasis on uh, family values, uh, hard work, uh, those are those are something that I value in my own life, and um, you know. That's almost two minutes long. At the very very end, she just starts to find an answer. Well, uh, uh, family values. I, I just remembered family values and hard work. That's what the Latino community has taught me. This is a friendly interview. This isn't even a tough one. Imagine if she were to actually debate anybody, let alone Carrie Lake. So. There you go. That's why Katie Hobbs is not going to debate. But it's a sad state of affairs when they won't, when candidates won't do it. But I guess in her case, I see why. Problem is, she's going to lose the election over it. This is Wiggins America. You can get the podcast by typing that in. Wiggins America in your search engine. It'll come up in multiple spots. Or you can rewind on the Odyssey app. Thanks for listening. 
Get more at 971talk.com. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 